Good morning, Grace Point. God bless you for being here. Do what we do almost every Sunday. Everybody stand. Jill, stand back up. Any, any place that I can stay this afternoon? We love you guys. Thank you for being here today. Amen. And uh, move out of your seat. Greet somebody. If you don't know them, tell them who you are. Fist bump them, wave, hug your neck, whatever you feel good with. Remain standing as we read the Bible. Love you guys. Thanks, Pastor Arnold, for sharing that. I never knew that story. Look at that. I learned something new today. And uh, today I want to talk to you uh, about the redemptive heart of God. The redemptive heart of God. Romans 3, verse 21 through 24. Uh, Paul writing to the church at Rome, but says, Now the righteousness of God apart from the law, not from the law, but apart, separated from the law, is revealed. Uh, that righteousness has to be revealed to you by the Spirit. And it said it's been witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, they were declaring, the prophets prophesied about the new covenant that was coming. And it says in 22 that even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So there's two kind of righteousness. There's man's righteousness, which is useless, filthy rags, the Bible calls it. And then there's the righteousness of God. But that righteousness is a gift. It's not something that is achieved. It's something that's received. But it says this righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. And then Paul says, for there's no difference. He was writing here, and he's telling the Jews that there's no difference between them and the Gentiles or the, them and the, anybody. There's no difference. Why is there no difference? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this is God's definition of sin. It's not mine and yours per se, but this God defines sin here. What sin is is just simply falling short of the glory that God intended for us to, to walk in. And then it uses in verse 24, it says being justified. The word justified 
is translated from a Greek word that means made righteous. Sometimes it's in, the, in your Bible you'll see it, it'll say made righteous, or sometimes it'll translate it justified as, as the case here, but it's the same word. And so being justified means being made righteous or right with God. Um, to be made right with God is to be made righteous, to be justified. Justified never sinned. Got that? So being justified or being made right with God freely. How did it come? Freely. By his grace. It came freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. You may be seated. God's redemption is to bring us back uh, to the original purpose of his creating us. And I'm going to say some things, probably I don't know if I've ever said them quite just like this. Uh, I have one message, it's the grace of God. Because uh, we are saved by grace. If you want to see people saved, you've got to preach grace. Uh, God's redemption is to bring us back. And, and one thing, if you, if you ever get this, it will, it will spare you from much heresy that circulates through the church and on Facebook. Uh, if you know that every act that God does, everything that God does, there, he, there is a redemptive purpose. If God is the originator of it, if God is behind it, there is redemptive purpose in what God does all the way through the Bible, that God always has redemptive uh, purpose. And so this is some of the statements I want you to hear. I, I do not believe, based on the word of God, that we were ever meant to, to, to be perfect in the sense of, of the, anything that we could do by ourselves. We're not made to get it right. We're not made to be righteous on our own. We're not made to be wise on our own. You, you agree with those statements? We, we, we were not made to be like that. We were made to be a partaker of God's divine nature. That's what the Bible says in 2 Peter. We were made to be partakers of, of God's wisdom. So if you want to be wise, you partake of God's wisdom. If you want to be righteous, you receive God's righteousness. If you want to be perfect, then you receive God's perfection through Jesus Christ. And, and so that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. You're not created to be uh, wise, but you're, you're created to partake of his divine wisdom. Now, see, that's what throwed off Eve in the garden. She actually makes the statement uh, in Genesis, uh, in Genesis 3 and 6, she said, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She's trying to get to be wise in her own self, and, and she believed the lie. In other words, the whole temptation. Do you know that Satan did not tempt them to you know do this or do that or something the thing that satan tempted adam and eve was was the temptation to be like god do you understand that he, he didn't tempt them to go somewhere and get drunk or you know what i'm saying the temptation that made mankind fall short of the glory was the temptation the lie that you must do something to be like God when they, in fact, were already like God. The Bible said they were created in the image and the 
likeness of God. They were not God, but they were made like God. And But Satan comes along with the lie that he still pushes today, and he says that, that you've got to do these things in order to be like God, and you have to do these things in order to be acceptable to God. Now, of course, the Bible goes on to say in Genesis that they, they took of the, the fruit. In other words, it says she took of it, she ate it, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, I've told you this before, and the women should appreciate this. I'm trying to take up for you a little bit. Uh, I grew up in the church thinking that Adam was across town naming bugs when Eve did her little nasty. Come on now, let's just be real. I was taught that, uh, you know, that Adam and Eve, once they got, and this is not true, but I'm going to say it like the church conveyed it, that God got mad with them when they disobeyed him. He was angry with them. He kicked them out of the garden. He kicked them out of paradise. He banned them from it. And so then, you know, Adam and Eve starts having uh, children. And so the boys, you know, looking across where they can't go anymore and they asked Daddy, you know, Adam, you know, Daddy, where, what's that place over? He said, well, that's where we used to live till your mama got us kicked out of house and home. <laughs> that's not true, is it? But there's this, there's this undercurrent that all this stuff is women's fault. A few women just hadn't eaten a tree. The Bible says Adam was standing right there with her. And if, if this matters to you, when if you read the Bible carefully in Genesis, well, you'll see that God created the man first. And the man was on the, on the dirt for a while before the woman ever came. I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm just trying to tell you the truth. And the Bible said that God commanded the man not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for him the day that he eats of it. It didn't say, God said, I'm going to be mad. God says, no, it just says you'll die. It did not say God said, I'll kill you. It, God didn't say the day you eat of this, I'm going to be mad and kill you. Man did what he did. You know, people ask me sometime, and I've talked about this before, you know, they said, you know, I, I got a problem with God because he created the devil. I said, well, you got a wrong problem because God didn't create the devil. We did. See, I, I didn't even hardly get nothing out of that. That was just stone cold silence. Where did Satan, the devil, come from? Who made him? There's not one verse that God made him. God didn't make the devil. You did. We did. Man did, I mean. Adam did. See how quiet it gets? Why can't you accept that? God created Lucifer, son of the morning choir leader his body was an instrument too, too long to get into all the he was one of the only three of the arch, archangels named in the Bible Michael Gabriel, Lucifer high position high authority he became jealous of God, wanted to be God wanted to dethrone God all that happened back in the eons of the past uh, he was removed from that position. And when you're removed from that position, you also lose the authority that the position carried. If you're the sheriff and you get removed from being the sheriff, you can't pull people over no more. You can't arrest people no more. 
They might let you keep your badge, but you can't use it. Only thing you can do with that badge is remember when. So Satan is cast down out of heaven. He's on the earth. He's on the earth and he can't do anything. He has no authority and he has no power. I know the church convinced you that Satan's this big, bad boogeyman. He's got all this power, but he don't. Any power that Satan uses today is being granted to him by the people that's got the real power, and that's you and I. The only people God ever gave authority to on the earth was man. And he gave that dominion, that authority to Adam and his seed. We have dominion over everything on the earth, all things that fly, swim, and creep on the ground. That means you got authority over every creep. And so Satan is here as Lucifer, fallen angel, no authority. He sees the man that's got the authority, which is Adam and Eve. He wants that authority, not to do good with it. He wants that power. If Satan could do anything that was big and bad before man gave him the authority and power, he'd have just jumped on them and took it or did it or whatever. He wouldn't even needed them. He'd have just killed them and been done with it. He couldn't do nothing. He had nothing. All he had was a mouth to speak lies. The Bible calls him the father of lies. That's all he could do was talk. And so what he does is he talks and he, he, he inhabits the body of a serpent. I don't necessarily understand all that. Uh, scientists tell us, biologists tell us that, that snakes in their background, you know, they walked upright. Uh, I, I personally wish that Adam and Eve hadn't messed that up for us because I wish they still walked up right. That way you could see them better. <laughs> All this hiding stuff bothers me when I'm in the woods. I'd rather them see them, you know, you got a you know, six-foot rattler. He's coming up. He's six-foot walk. Hey, there he is. <laughs> Be easier to spot him, wouldn't it? But the Bible, you know, says that anyway, for some reason, the serpent is talking to Eve. Now, the only way that she would know don't eat of this tree was her husband was charged with the command to teach that to his wife. I don't know if he didn't do a good job. I don't know if she just didn't listen. I don't know what the deal was. But the point is, she's there talking to a snake. Uh, Adam's not saying anything. He's not protecting. He's not taking dominion. Uh, this this serpent, this talk, and I find it very interesting in the Bible that Eve seems to not to be uh, moved nor Adam by the fact that the snake talks. So that tells me that Adam that the animals talked. Just something to think about. You don't have to believe it. It's okay. You know, there's still animals that talk today. Birds, birds talk. Now, you can't teach a bird to talk unless somewhere in its DNA it has the ability down there to do it. You can't teach a squirrel to swim underwater and eat minnows. You can't teach a squirrel to do that because it's not in their DNA. But you can teach some animals to talk because it is, you know, and I just believe when we get to heaven, you know, an animal's there, there'll be animals there, the Bible says that. Be good to talk to them. You know, what's up, dog? 
I, I should get back to the sermon. I've done wondered off here. They didn't seem to be shocked at all that the animals talked. And by the way, if you need other proof texts, when Balaam is there trying to curse Israel, and they call it Balaam's donkey, and it said that God spoke through the donkey, all of that is biblically inaccurate. The Bible never says that God spoke through a donkey to, the fault, to Balaam the prophet. Now, y'all looking at me like I just told a lie. Just because y'all been lied to all that time. And I'm the man coming by telling you the truth. The Bible says God opened her mouth, her mouth, the donkey, and it said, let her speak. And the Bible said she spoke to him. And she said to the prophet that was on her back, if you remember the story, she sees an angel that the prophet don't see. She sees an angel guarding the way to keep this prophet from going, speaking words of, you know, curse and all against God's people, against Israel. And so she recognizes that that'll be his death if she goes forward. He's beating her with a stick, trying to get her to go on. He don't understand. And they're in a very narrow place, and she moves to the side. She's being beaten by, by her owner. And then she crushes his foot against the stone, and then he really goes to talking to her and telling her how sorry she is. And then God says, you know what, I've had enough of this. Go on, girl, tell him what you want to tell him. And then she talks to the prophet. She said, have I not been a good mule? Have I not hauled your butt off? I mean, she goes to telling him. I mean, she's giving it to him. Read the story. It's pretty cute. And the prophet don't seem to be shocked that the donkey is talking to him. He argues back with her. He said, well, you should have went on down the road. And she said, if I had, you'd have been a dead man because there's an angel with a sword standing there. So there you got two places where animals talk, but people don't seem to be shocked by it. The point is that when man chose to believe the lie that the serpent said, it was Satan, but it wasn't Satan, it was Lucifer. But when, so who had the dominion, the authority, and the power? Man did. That's why, that's why Lucifer is talking to him. He's trying to get it. See, remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? Remember Jesus? After his baptism service by John, he goes out into the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights. And remember that Satan shows up to tempt him, and he offers him three things. I don't have time to go into all that. But one of the things that he offered him, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Right? And then Satan says to Jesus, he said, all, this, all these kingdoms and their authority I can give to you, for they were delivered to me. When did that delivery happen? It happened in the garden. When man transferred his authority and dominion and rule to the enemy, which thereby created and changed him from Lucifer, a fallen angel with no authority and no power, now to an empowered spiritual being that has now stolen the authority that was not his. But he didn't steal it, it was given to him. Adam gave him the keys. That's why Jesus speaks in the language. When he comes back, when he came back, he took the keys back. If you have keys to this building, that translates that you have authority to come and go in this building or you would not have the key. Keys represent authority. So that's what Jesus is talking about. It may not be literal, literal keys, but he's talking about the authority that goes with that power. Okay? 
Man, that was some power there. <laughs> I'm just trying to say to you, everything that you hear me talk about is just trying to get us to see God in the, in the right light. God, God didn't make a killing, murdering devil and then turn him loose on the planet and say, y'all have it, I hope you survive. God didn't do that. God had, there was a fallen angel, had no authority, no power, but he lied and man bought that lie that you got to do this, 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 and to be like God. And, 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 and that's, the, that's the big lie. Now, I want to tell you something else. Because the lie is, the root of the lie is really this. And the reason we have religion is because man has been lied to. And, and, and in the garden, uh, we teach this thing, this separation. And at the crutch of traditional Christianity or the traditional gospel is this, that that. That God, you know, they disobeyed God. God got angry with them. He kicked them out, you know, as punishment. It's not the Bible at all. The Bible does say this. It says, when God saw that man had partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, of course, now, now God comes down and, and talks to him. So the, I guess what I'm trying to go after here strong is this lie of separation from God from mankind, even when mankind has disobeyed him and blowed it. And how that's, how that's preached from the average pulpit is that God's so holy he can't even look at sin. How many heard a preacher make that statement? God's so holy he can't look at sin. Hold your hand up if you heard it. Okay. Participate. <laughs> how many have heard that, that people preach or say that God turned his back on Jesus when he was dying on the cross? That's also a lie. That's a lie. It's not true. It never says that. It never says that in the Bible. Preachers say it, but the Bible don't say it. If God turned his back on Jesus because he became sin or did sin or what, I mean, he didn't do sin, he became sin. But if God turned his back on his own son, well, what hope do me and you have? What's to stop God from turning his back on you? And there's people running all over this world that think God has turned his back on them. They think that when they sin, God turns his back on them. They think God sits in a swivel chair. If you do good, God's facing you and blessing you. Hallelujah. You know, if you sin, then God does this. And then you, God's pouting. God's not going to talk to you. God's not going to answer any of your prayers anymore. You just, you're, you're, you know, your goose is cooked, man, until you do something to make God like you again. So here you cry and say, God, I'm sorry, and you cry a lot, and I'm sorry for doing that, and I won't do it no more. And then God says, okay, I'll, I'll talk to you again if you be good. But now if you sin again, I'm not going to talk to you. And you husbands, that's why your prayers ain't get answered because you don't treat your wife right, so I'm not going to answer none of y'all's prayers either. You know, and see, get all this foolishness, just ridiculous I can't believe I was ever dumb enough to buy into all that. And what made me not buy into it started reading the book for myself. It's just not true. Now what God did do is he said, in the day you eat of this, you will die. And that happened. And then God, when he saw that man had partaken of the tree of the knowledge of the evil and had died spiritually, so to speak, then he says to the Trinity, to the Son, to who is known at that as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Word was with God. The Word was God. And so God says to, to uh, the Trinity, He says, For man, behold, man has, has 
you know, eaten of the tree. And he said, lest he extend his hand and eat of the tree of life and live forever. God says, I won't have it. I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to have my creation to live eternally in this fallen condition. If you understood that statement, then you wouldn't believe the lies that people have preached to you about hell. But that's another subject. And we have it on tape or CD. I think we could give it to you. But we've been sold a bill of goods on a lot of stuff. It makes you have to rethink a lot of stuff. So God said, I'm not going to have an, uh, my, my creation living in a fallen state eternally. Like It's not going to have it. So he drove man from the garden, placed cherubims, which these are these special angels, with swords there. And it says, not, not barring man's entry, but keeping the way to the tree of life. God says, I'm going to bring them back to this tree that they should have been eaten out of instead of the one I told them not to eat out of. Somebody said, well, why didn't God put the tree in there in the first place if you can't eat out of it? Because you're never free unless you have a decision not to be free. If you don't have a decision not to be free, you're just in prison. You may feel free, but you're locked up. Somebody said, well, that little dog loves me with all his heart. I'm sure it does in that four-by-four four cage you got it in. But if you want to test that dog's love, open the door and see if the dog stays. If you own that door and all you see is that little back behind running off down the road, that dog don't care nothing about you. That dog is escaping. <laughs> but if you own that door and that dog stays, that dog loves you. See, God's not after prisoners, robots, none of that stuff. It's after sons and daughters who love him, who sees the relationship that the father has with his own son, and they enter into that, and they want that, and they share in that. So this, this lie about you that somehow God has separated. And to prove that that's not true is when Adam and Eve sinned and, they, and, and God, but God still showed up, did he not? I, I say this often, but when man sinned, if God was the God that the church, traditional church has made him out to be, he would have never come back to the planet. He just said, they sinned, I'm done with them. But what did God do? God done, done what he always did. He come in the cool of the evening right on time like he always did. Now, when man realized that he had sinned, and what happened is Psalms talks about that they were covered with a light suit, really. It's just the, the radiance of God. It wasn't like naked like you and I think about naked, but they had a light suit prior to that. And then when, that, when they sinned, they, when they died spiritually, that light suit departed, and they recognized in themselves. And so instead of being God-conscious, they become self-conscious. And that's what religion does. It makes you self-conscious instead of God-conscious. Religion makes you sin-conscious instead of son-conscious, Jesus-conscious. The Bible says in Hebrews, if the sacrifice works, there will be no more consciousness of sin. See, God says this righteousness that I give you, it comes apart from the law. The law does several things. Two main things that the law is, the law is a mirror. It's like a mirror. I mean, when you look in the mirror, it can reveal to you what needs to be worked on. Or the problem. <laughs> As you get older, you notice your mirror doesn't become kinder to you. And then you buy these 10x mirrors. My, I just bought my wife one another. She, her, hers messed up. She wanted another one. And it's, you know, 10, she wanted to be sure it was 10x, 10 times. Boy, you get in that, it'll show you what you're looking like. A mirror can show and reveal the problem, but it can't fix it. 
That's the way the law is. It shows you the problem. It shows you how short of the glory you have fallen, but it can't fix it. What Paul said, what the law in its weakness could not do. It wasn't, that the, it wasn't the law itself was weak in, in itself. It was the law was weak because we couldn't keep it or obey it. We was never created to be able to keep the law. God never, never gave the commandments because he thought any humans, any humans were going to be able to keep the rules. He knew they couldn't. That's why he didn't give it. So the law is a mirror. Well, let me ask you this. Is the law a guide, Ten Commandments, if you will, but is the law a guide for Christian living? In most churches, they would say, yes. The law is our guide. The Ten Commandments are our guide for living. They are not your guide. If you say that the Ten Commandments, the law, is my guide for Christian living, then you're saying Jesus got it wrong. Because Jesus said that, that what's your guide is the Holy Spirit now is your guide. He is the spirit of truth and he will lead and guide you into all truth. He's not going to lead you back to what didn't work in the first place. He's not going to lead you back to the law. He's not gonna, he, he, the Holy Spirit is your guide. And the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is called the spirit of grace. So the Holy Spirit is your guide. The Ten Commandments is not my guide. I'm not going to post them nowhere. I'm not going to read them every day. They don't have nothing to do with me. For the Bible says in Romans 10 and 3 that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe. Believe what? Believe in him. He's the end of the law. Law ain't got nothing to do with me. Law don't go around him. You know what I'm talking about? Law ain't got nothing to do with me. I, I don't check. I don't, I don't measure myself. I don't measure my, I don't do that. Christ has gifted me righteousness. He has gifted me holiness. He has gifted me sonship. He has adopted me. He has claimed me. He has eternally given me eternal life. I don't worry about the law. Can't give me no ticket. There ain't no speed limit on the road I'm riding on. So therefore, what, that, what does that do in my Christian life? It disarms Satan. He's called, like I told you last Sunday, the accuser of the brethren. What does he use to accuse the brethren with? Brethren that are ignorant that they are still under the law. If you think you're still under the law, then, then he'll pull you over and he'll badger you and give you a ticket, so to speak. In other words, he'll, he will harass you and he will point out your failures and your, 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 your shortcomings and he will use the law to do it and he will accuse you and make you feel condemned, worthless, all that stuff. And the only reason he gets away with that is because you don't know the authority and the power that you've been given now in sonship, and you don't know that, that you're not under law anymore. I'm under grace. The law has nothing to do. Sin shall not have dominion over me, for I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace. It doesn't mean that I sin. Grace is the power to say no to ungodliness. Grace is actually the, see, the grace is not a band-aid for sin. It's the cure for it. It's, God didn't mess up when he sent grace. He, he sent the right medicine. That's, 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 what, that's the antidote for sin is, is the grace of God. That's the, what he gave that woman called in the act of adultery. And he said, woman, where's your condemners? I don't have any, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. You don't have no condemnation for me, girl. Now get up and go and sin no more. This is the power, girl, to go and sin no more. This is the power, the free gift of grace. No condemnation, no condemning you. Just live your life now. And she walks in that power of that grace, that gift of no condemnation. And that's the power to go and sin no more. Not knowing the rules. 
never, knowing the rules has never kept me from not breaking them. In fact, Paul said, knowing the rules is why I broke them. He said, actually, the law illuminated, it highlighted. So the law is not your guide for Christian living. The, 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 the Holy Spirit, the person, is your guide. He's, he will lead you, and he will guide you. He won't shove you. He will lead you. He will guide you as a believer into all truth. And then as you know that truth, the truth that you know will make you free. And whom the Son sets free is... Now, how many people has the Son set free? All of them. So every Christian that puts their faith in Jesus, you have been declared a free person by Jesus. Now, some of you are trying to get free of this. You're trying to get free of that because you've been deceived and lied to that you think that, you, that the Lord just comes by and frees one or two every now and then. No, you're free. You're already free from drugs. And as soon as your heart knows it, your body will stop wanting it. You're already free. You've been, well, I'm trying to get, see, you no, know, you can't try to get free. You've already been made free. You just don't believe you're free. So you're going to still act like you up locked up, but you're free. I mean, they can unlock the, the, the thing at the jail and tell you you're free to go, and you can just stay in there and eat and sleep on the cot. But it, it's not God. The door has been opened. The authority to keep you there. I mean, yeah, they're still jailers walking by, but they can't say boo to you if you decide to walk on out. Now, somebody's preached religion to you and told you they're going, they can't do nothing. Satan can't do anything but threaten and talk and boast and, and, and accuse you with the law. See, in the garden, God didn't abandon his kids. What about this God that's so holy he can't look at sin? That's, can you not see that that's a lie? Because when man, did man sin in the garden? Okay, did sin enter in? The Bible says it did. And then death through sin. So all the bad stuff come because man willfully sinned. And so when, when man, man sinned in the garden, did God still come? That's what God does. He's redemptive. God's going to come right down into your mess. He's going to always come right down. And so God comes into the garden still loving them. Now what man realized is when they lost the light suit, they said, we've got to do something to make ourselves acceptable to God. So man in his great wisdom decided to make fig leaves garments. Sewed, it says in the Bible. So they sewed fig leaves together. Isn't that kind of foolish? I mean, look at, get the video on that. Isn't that foolish? Have you ever seen fig, you ever been around a fig tree? You ever seen fig leaves? What makes you think that that's going to make an adequate garment to cover your nakedness? But they sew that together and they just wearing their little fig leaves, you know, you know. And, and then I think as they got it made and they looked at one another and I think they go, man, this stinks. This ain't sufficient. And then they heard God walking in the cool of the garden. They heard his, the voice of the Lord. And so then they ran and hid. And then God walks, just like he's always done, he's a loving papa. He's going to come right there in your mess. He's not mad at you, wanting to get you. He, so God walks in and, he, and he, God calls out to the man, Adam, where are you? God wasn't saying, I don't know where you are. Quit hiding where I can find you. God knew exactly where he was, but God was saying, I want you to see where you are. Adam, where are you? I'm hiding from you. First time the word fear appears in the Bible. He said, I heard your voice and I was a... 
afraid. He's never been afraid of God before. Why is he being afraid now? God said, why are you afraid, son? He said, because I'm naked. Listen, God says to him, who told you you were naked? See, somebody had to tell you you were naked or you would never know you was. Boy, that right there, all the hairs on my body are pushing my shirt off my back right now. God's presence. Somebody has to tell you that you're not fit for God. Somebody has to tell you that you're unrighteous. Somebody has to tell you that God's mad with you. Somebody has to tell you these lies. God says, somebody told you. Who told you you were naked? The same one that told them to eat of the tree, they'd be wise, told them, now you're naked. God said, somebody had to tell you you're naked. Who told you? He said, we're afraid. So here's what Adam does. He said, no, I'm feeling pressure on this. And so this is what he said. He, you know, he's, God said, did you eat the tree? God knew he did. Just, just tell us what you did, son. I, yeah, but th- this is what he does. This is what man does. Man blames God for his problems. This is the first thing that Adam said to God. He said, the woman that you gave me. Am I in the Bible or not? He said, the woman that you gave me. You could have given me a better woman than I got. Now, there's something wrong with this woman because this woman here handed me fruit that we shouldn't eat. And if you'd have given me a better wife, if I'd have had a better wife, better home, better parents, better job, then I wouldn't be in this mess. If you had to see God, it's your fault, really. I'm I'm the innocent one here. The problem is you. Do you see that? That is, that's man. Man, man, it's God's fault. If I'd had a better parent, if I'd had better parents, if I'd had parents like my, man, they're living in paradise. They don't want for anything and they still screwed up. So it's not your environment that got you where you are. He said, the woman you gave me, she the one said this. This is your fault. God walked and said to the one, what what, what you, you say, Eve? Ain't my fault, God. Serpent. Serpent, one, he, 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 serpent did this. Devil made me do it. <laughs> she, you read it. She said the serpent. Okay. So Adam, he blamed her. I'm talking to her and she blaming the snake. I go to the snake. He there standing up there on all fours, you know, standing on his two legs. God said, what say you? He didn't have a leg to stand on. That's why he got thrown to the ground. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, the reason I do think he was walking upright, because when God said to him, from this day forth now, you shall be, go to the ground and you shall eat dust. What was man made of? Dust. What does Satan eat? Dust. So in Genesis we have a serpent. In Revelation we have a dragon. Somebody been feeding that sucker. We done gone from a serpent to a dragon. Because he thrives off of flesh. That's what I'm trying to say to you. The dust, the flesh, that part. That's what he feeds off of. Tries to get you to do these fleshly 
things. You need to do this, you need to do that to appease the flesh, to satisfy the flesh. And God wasn't mad with them. You know, God didn't say, I, you, y'all better ask me to forgive you. That, that, that was never discussed. God just said, no, i got to get you back to life. Amen. Jesus said, I've come they might have life. Religion says you must do one, two, and three to get back with God. But the good news of the gospel is that the gospel is not that you can do this and that to get yourself right with God. But the good news of the gospel is that God did. God reconciled the sin of the world, the world unto himself, by forgiving people's sins, not holding them against them. God said, I'll handle this. God has always been the one that would go down into our mess and redeem us. He's always done it. He's done it with Adam and Eve. He's done it with Abraham wasn't looking for God. God was come looking for Abraham. Uh, Jacob, God appears in a form that Jacob could wrestle with. It was not an angel. It was the angel that received the worship in that scenario. And that was the pre-incarnate Christ. And Jacob wrestled with God. God always is the one that comes into our mess. God so loved. Man's not trying to talk God in it. It's all God. It's all God. And when God restores you, Brings that redemption. He never restores you back to your previous condition. He always elevates you to a higher level that you've, that you've not known. Always. Uh, could you put up the first picture for me? Now, many years ago, my little sweet wife right there, my granddaddy, and just leave that one up for a while until I tell you to change it, but my granddaddy, when I grew up, my granddaddy, that to me was greatest man or greatest hero, uh, he was that Holiness Baptist preacher you hear me talk about sometimes. Glenn Young was his name. I loved him so much. He had a he always he had a little farm all tractor, a little farm all a tractor. Man, he could make a pretty garden with that thing. A little one row farm all. And uh and, and I would be little feller and I would help him. Now he died when I was fourteen. But I had many uh, years there that, that uh, we finally moved back to, to where he, close to where he lived and I was able to spend a lot of time. And he'd have, I don't know if you're old enough you remember, he had this little, and it'd have a, you know, fertilizer harper. He called it Guana. <laughs> I guess that's what they called it. But he would make a beautiful garden. And my thrill was to get to help with that or either to, to ride on the tractor or drive the tractor. Uh, and, 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 man, I loved that. And he'd hook up them little them plows and all that stuff, and, 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 and man, it was great. And so when I got grown, I, I, I'd say to my wife, man, I'd like to just get me a, you know, we lived out on a farm up in Cook County. I had about 30 acres there where we lived. And, and I said, I just want to get me a, you know, just because it was sentimental, emotional of my granddaddy. Well, lo and behold, I don't even remember, was it Christmas? That's terrible, isn't it Christmas? It was Christmas, wasn't it? And so they lead me out to my barn. We had horses and stuff like that. And they led me out to the barn she did and the kids and had me, you know, what I couldn't see. And on a trailer, uh, they had they had this. Now that's a that's a oh, that's a, like what uh, what model like forty eight forty nine somewhere fifty right in there, and she found that Jill did, and, and Justin, and uh, and they bought that tractor, and uh, man it don't look good at all, and in fact what you can't see is right there in the engine block I could stick my whole hand inside the motor. It, it, I mean, that's how damaged it was. We, they have the tire inflated, but the, the one, this big right tire here, uh, it only hold air for a little bit, and then it goes back down to the ground. And uh, so we had to air it up to get it off the trailer, and then they got it inside my barn there. And, and, and it's all rusted up. It will not run. It's just, it's just, it's, it, that's it. And, uh, but look at that bow on it. You notice that big red velvet bow? 
my wife had the audacity to put a bow on something that looks that nasty. Can you believe it? And she's going to give me something or give me a tractor that won't work. You can't crank it. You can't ride it. It's held together by rust. The motor won't start. It's just a piece of junk. The man was probably glad to get it off his property. That's what God does. That, that's us. I ain't talking about tractors. That's me and you. And God sets his love on us, and, and, and we, we, we can't do nothing. We done for. Um, next slide. Look how proud I am. That's back when I was younger. They took they want to take my picture and I'm sitting up there on it. I was so happy. I can't tell you how happy. It broke my heart in a good way. I couldn't believe she did that. I couldn't believe she went and bought me that tractor. Now she brought it knowing that I have to bring restoration to it. I, I don't know what it's gonna cost. But I don't care what it's going to cost. I'm going to get that tractor back like it, not like it was when it was new. You could buy that tractor brand new for $1,400 back in the you know, 1950, whatever. And it ran off of kerosene. It had a, two separate tanks and it had, it had a little tank, the little small tank that you filled it with gas. And you have to crank it with that because it was hotter and the gas would burn harder. And you crank it and got the motor warmed up. And then you turned the little valve and it changed it over to kerosene. And that's what it runs. And it was a 6-volt, not a 12-volt. It was a 6-volt system. And in the front, it had a crank on it. You could hand crank it. Because a lot of times that 6-volt wouldn't even turn the motor over. It, was just too, it wasn't strong enough. But everybody was so, they sold thousands and thousands of them things. Man, farmers back then, they loved them things. But I'm not going to get that thing back to that condition. I'm going to carry it higher. Next slide. There she go. Isn't that beautiful? That's the same tractor. That's the same tractor. Now, it was many months later before that tractor was delivered back on my property looking like that. That thing's shiny red. I was looking. I had to find these pictures yesterday. And... Uh, I, uh, I, told, I was telling Jahan this morning, when I was looking at the pictures, and we had many more than these, these I'm showing you, but I said, man, I should have kept that, you know, for them grandbabies now. I could be riding my grandbabies through the neighborhood, you know. That'd be a sight, wouldn't it? But I changed that tractor, or the man that did it for me. Now, I had to pay that man almost $4,000 when he delivered it. It was $3,800, $3, I think I wrote him a check for now, I didn't fuss and say, wait a minute, now you can buy this thing brand new, but I was glad to get it. I didn't know what it was going to cost. He said, I'm going to go through it, get it, you know, do it right. He said, I'm going to change it total to, to gas, of course. It's going to run off gas. It's going to be 12 volt. It won't be 6 volt no more. It'll have more power. Uh, it, it, it'll crank every time you want it to crank from here on out. And it run and fired up, and I, it never gave me any trouble. And, 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 and I, I just rode, I rode it around that day in the yard. Just rode it. Didn't do nothing with it. Just rode it. Because it, 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 it was an attachment that I love because of the person. And you understand that. But all I'm trying to do is just illustrate to you that this is what God does with us with redemption. He comes to our mess. He redeems us. And he doesn't restore you to what you were. He carries you to a, a realm that's greater than anything you could ever imagine. 
Would you stand with me? God is a redeemer. And if God is working in your life, the life of your loved ones, the life of your children, the life of your family, in which he is. We sung about it today, the praise team, that God's working. Even though you don't see it, he's working. Even though you don't know it and recognize it, but God's working. And, 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 and what is the work that he's doing? Redemption. He is there to redeem your messes and to bring, he's going to get right down. And the whole thing with the gospel is this. This is the truth of the gospel. See, th this is one of the things that I hate, and I don't have a lot of time with this, but this is one of the things that I hate. I hate that, and it's almost like it's part of the church's, not this church, but it's part of the church theology, that somehow the Father and the Son are different. Hebrews 1 and 3 says that Jesus is the exact, the NIV says he is the exact representation of the Father. They said to Jesus, show us the Father. Jesus said, you're seeing the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. For I and the Father are one. The Father and Jesus are one. The Holy Spirit, the Father and Son, they're, they're one. To think that, that Jesus, that the Father, we, we got this idea like that God don't really like us. He can't stand to look at us. Uh, you know, he, he, can't, he can't look at us because of sin. He turns his back on us. He, he hates us. He despises us. But then the kindly son comes, Jesus, and, and so he becomes sin. And then the Father just, you know, kills him on the cross to appease his anger. And he don't really want us in heaven, but he's going to put up with us because of Jesus' sake. But what if Jesus walks off somewhere in heaven and when we just stand there looking at the Father? I mean, what's going You ain't going to feel welcome there. The only reason I got y'all here is because of him. I don't really, really want you here in the first place. If you think that God was doing some kind of human sacrifice on the cross, if you think that God was, Jesus, you know, that God killed Jesus on the cross to try to appease his anger, you don't even know the gospel. But I'll tell you, that's what's believed by most of the church. That's a fact. And that is a diabolical heresy. Instead of you running around asking who killed Jesus, let me ask you this, what killed Jesus? That's a better question. The wages of sin is death. If Jesus became sin, sin's what killed Jesus. Them nails wasn't strong enough. Jesus crawled right down into our humanity. Jesus became one of us to rescue us from this mess that we created by our choice. God will never violate your free will, your choice. God deals with us individually, as I said a few weeks ago. He handles Nicodemus different than he handled the woman at the well. He deals with us individually. And he knows what we need. But every act that God does is redemptive in nature. When God calls that Syrophoenician woman and literally just Jesus calls her a dog. and She's just trying to get her daughter delivered of a demon. And Jesus ignores her first off. Don't, don't, he, he answered her not a word, the Bible says. He ignores her. Secondly, the disciples say, send this woman away. She's bothering us. Jesus looks at them in the earshot of her and says, it's not right for me to give the children's bread to the dogs. He called her a dog. 
She knew that to be, I'm a Gentile. Well, she was, remember, the, the point was she was saying son of David. The only person that could cry son of David have mercy on me was because they are, and they are rightly due the mercies of David, it's called. And that would mean that she would be Jewish. She was lying. She was not Jewish. She thought God was so insensitive that the only way you can get him to do anything is you've got to be in the right religion. You've got to be you know, right blood in your veins. And see, that's the wrong view of God. And Jesus was not going to heal her daughter based on her wrong view of him. <clears throat> so everything he's doing, though it looks harsh, it seems very harsh to the, to the natural mind initially. But I tell you, everything that he was doing was redemptive. He was only trying to do redemptive work. And he says, it's not right for me to give the children's med to the, to the dog. She, oh, she's like, oh, man, I'm busted. I, he got me now. I'm not no Jew. I'm a Gentile. I'm a Syrophoenician woman. She said, you got me, Lord, rightly so you have said. But even the dogs, don't they get the crumbs fall from the master's table? <laughs> Jesus looked at her with such love. And he says, woman, I love the way he did that. Woman, great is thy faith. Go your way. Your daughter has been made well. And in that moment of redemption, he got right in that religious mess. See, religion is what man does when he believes the lie that man is separated from God. You can separate yourself perceivingly from God, but God will walk right down into that pit with you. He, the whole reason Jesus told the thing of the, the, the prodigal son, it should be prodigal sons. And one little caveat that we forget, listen to me carefully. The Bible says when the younger son said, hey, I want my inheritance, I want it now. The Bible says that God divided, uh, the, the father divided all his inheritance to them both. To them both. So the older brother got paid the same day that the younger son got paid. The older brother got even a larger inheritance than the younger brother because of that's the way it was with the older. So he had his bank account running over the day that his younger brother left home. And when his brother come home, the father did not treat him ugly. He, he got right. He ran down the road, grabbed a hold. The Bible said he fell on him. The only time that Greek word is ever used again in the whole New Testament Bible is when, when Peter was in Cornelius' house preaching and talking to him. And, and he said, for what purpose have you sent for me? And then he starts witnessing to him about, the, you know, Jesus and all. And then it says, while he yet spake, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. It's like the Holy Spirit says, ooh, I can't wait no more. Hush, Peter. <laughs> he falls on them. That same Greek word is only used two times in the whole New Testament. There in Cornelius' house, and then the prodigal story, the parable. The Bible said the father fell on his neck and kissed him, put his robe on the son, put his finger, uh, ring on his finger, put his shoes. The father divested himself of everything he had on and gave it to his son. Whew. And then, of course, get home, throws a party, Oldest son won't come in, so the father does what again? Redemptive. He goes out. Pleads with him, son, come on in the party. He said, I can't believe you. I've served you all the days of my life. He said, I have never violated not one of your commandments. That's what he said. I kind of called him liar on that one myself. 
But he said, I've never violated not one of your commandments. And he said, now, my younger brother come home and how he lives smells like a hog and you throw him a party. You ain't never throw me no party. And this is the key to this. Listen, the son who also had his bank account filled with inheritance and could spend the money however he wanted. It's his now. Father already divided it to him. But this is what he says. In other words, he's saying, Daddy, I want you to reward me based on my performance. And that is the crutch of religion. I want you to relate to me based on my goodness, on what I've done, and I want to be rewarded and paid. Pay ain't grace. Grace is free. And the father said, I won't, I won't do it. Religion is what man does when he thinks he is separated from the father. And he has to invent something that he can see because of what he's been blinded to and can't see, grace. He wants to invent something that he can see and, and, then, and then preach that to everybody. If I do, you know, one, two, three, you got to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. And, to, and then God, when you get through, then God will accept you. Then if I make that, then, then if I run into some other Christians that don't do, you know, but they don't do but one through six, then I am opposed to them. And I call them heretics because they think they can go to heaven by doing one, two, three, four, five, six. And my church says we got to do one, two, three, four, five, all the way to 14. And if you do 14, then y'all ain't got it right. And so then we got religions fighting one another and the Baptists fighting the Methodists, the Methodists fighting Presbyterians, and the Lutherans fighting everybody. And, the, you know, here we go. And then the Pentecostals say, oh, y'all wrong because y'all don't speak in tongues. And that's what you got, religion. When all Papa's trying to do, he said, you ain't got to do none of that. You just got to put your faith in my son. Now watch how me and my boy interact with each other. Don't that look good to y'all? How about y'all entering into that? And I tell you what, how about partaking of, if you need wisdom, ask of me. And I'll let you partake of my wisdom. If you need righteousness, and you do, because the law says you do, that was the purpose of it, to realize you're short then come to me and I'll give you righteousness as a gift. You want holiness? You know how you get it? Believe on Jesus. And Ephesians 4 says, I'll give you holiness, true holiness, not what man calls holiness, not what religion calls holiness, not what they call it, holiness church. That's a holiness church. No, that's a, that's a, that's a church with a hole in it. Because <laughs> they think you got to do this to be holy. Well, why does the New Testament command us to be holy? Because God's saying, be true to who I made you. Not be holy because you can achieve holy. Be holy because you are holy. Be righteous. Be happy. Be saved. Be holy. Be loved. Behave yourself. No, I'm... <laughs> Don't you have fun here? Glory to God. That's the truth. Be what God's made you. Just be that. How do I be? Just rest in it. I ain't got to try. I am. When you're righteous and you fall, you get back up again. Because you go, I'm righteous still. And I'm going to live that life. I'm going to walk it out. 
You were never meant to have it all together to get it right every time. You were, ne you were never created to be that. Relax. Stop doing Stop it. That's religion. You, you build yourself a pig pen, Papa's coming right to it. He's going to run down the road to, to, to greet you. He's coming for you. You sin in the garden, he's not going to pout. He's going to come right in there after you. He's going to call you by name, Adam. Where you at, son? Look at you wearing them fig leaves. That's religion, son. It ain't going to last. It's going to blow away. It ain't going to work. You don't have to do that for me to accept you. Ain't I here? Ain't I talking to you? Ain't you breathing? Is you dead? Come on, somebody. I mean, come on. I'm here for you, son. I'm not mad with you. I already knew you was going to eat at the wrong tree when I put you in here. That's why before you ever got in here, my son already was the sacrifice, the lamb sacrifice before the foundation of the world, by the way, which you're standing on. So I've never had a plan B. You didn't surprise me. I didn't turn around and get a sandwich and then turn around and go, oh, my God, they have sinned. I already knew what you're going to do before you do it because I'm God, you're not, and I've already made provision for everything. I, I've already done it. That's God. And if I hadn't told you lately, he is good all the time. And listen, and he don't do redemption on Tuesday and then don't do it any other time. He is every moment is focused on redeeming lost mankind. He loves them. He's there. You're, even if you're lost, you're not separated from him. You think you are. The church has told you you was. Sin separates you from the enjoyment of the communion that you could have being one with the Father. For who, who, who's believed on Jesus is now one spirit with the Lord. And you're not enjoying that. You've already been forgiven, but you're not enjoying that forgiveness until you put your faith in that person, Jesus, and you enjoy the forgiveness, the benefit of what he's already done. But you're not separated from him. So you don't need religion. Jesus didn't die to start a religion. He came to rescue sons and daughters. He came for the Holy Spirit to shine light, not to condemn you, but to say, this is the way home. Come with me. Jesus said, nobody goes to the Father except by me. The whole thing is not for you to go to heaven, have a house in heaven, and sitting on a big mansion, you know, and eating peanuts and, and rocking. No, no, no. The, the deal is to get back home to Papa. Amen. Heaven's about the Father. And the Father is just as good as Jesus is good because they're one. You get anything out of this today? Would you give God praise? All right. I love you guys. Thank you for being just so hungry for the grace of God. Um, if you don't know the Lord, if you want me to pray with you, help you, just believe on him. Put your faith in him for your righteousness. If you want to get right with God, put your faith in Jesus, and that makes you right with God. And then live that new life that comes flooding in. Know what it is to have that living water living, bubbling up out of you. Knowing what it is not to be under the condemnation of the law. Knowing what it is to live by the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit. Not to check the rule book, but to have that person living in you. The Holy Spirit is now in me. He is for me, he's with me, but he's in me. That's why Jesus said it's your advantage if I leave. Because if I leave you, I won't leave you like orphans. But I will give you a comforter, a counselor, 
a guide. And he will not only be with you like I've been, but he's going to be in you. He's with you all the time. And you know what? The Father don't get jealous, neither does Jesus. You can talk to the Holy Spirit. They're not jealous. And I talk to him. Holy Spirit, thank you. I, I don't look like God's way up there. Oh, I got to get a prayer through. Through what? I thought you said he lived in your heart. I thought you said you asked him in your heart, which you ain't know nothing about, but anyway, that's what you say. But he's in you. So if you want to get a prayer through to God, who is the Holy Spirit, just do this. Look right there where he's at. What I got to get a prayer through? This shirt? Ain't no demons in this shirt. I can get a prayer through that anytime I want to. Get your head out of the Old Testament. Daniels. <laughs> all that's, forget all it, Jesus is in here. Through the Spirit. Amen? Go and sin no more. Love you. God bless you. Hey, I'm going to be down here if you want prayer. Okay? God bless you.